12 through the end of uh, the chapter and the book. So verse 12, it says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, Lord. And God, we just pray more and more uh, the echo of our life, Lord, would be to magnify you, Lord. To lift you up, to raise you up, Lord. To praise you, God. To tell others of this wonderful grace and mercy that we've received from you, God. And Lord, we pray. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord. Continue to pray for uh, Lisandra, Lord, recovering from her latest surgery, God. Continue to pray for Guillermo, Lord, and uh, different family members, God, going through, Lord, their treatments, their sicknesses, their illnesses, God. We lift up uh, Nico and Isaiah, Lord, their mom, the family, Lord. Pray that you'd be comforting them, Lord, through this difficult, difficult season, Lord, of Losing a husband, a dad, Lord, we just pray that you'd be encouraging them, Lord, and comforting them, God. And Lord, for us here and now, God, we just pray that you'd be opening our eyes, God, soften our hearts to hear from you, Lord. Give us that spirit of humility, Lord, where we can seek, uh, Lord, your will for our lives. Uh, we pray for believers around the world, Lord. Continue to pray for those believers still left there in Afghanistan, God. We pray that you'd give them, Lord, think of Wes Bentley, you'd give him wisdom and discernment, Lord. Open his eyes to see, uh, Lord, the, the right path to get them out of there, God. So, Lord, we just love you. Uh, we thank you, Lord. Pray you'd be with us now as we go through your word, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been going through First John and finally closing it up. And it's been sort of a rinse, wash, and repeat of loving God, of being obedient to His commands, and loving our brothers and sisters. And just doing that over and over and over again can continue to give us that confidence that we're saved, that we truly are sons and daughters of God. Last time we were together, we looked at the confidence and assurance that we should have that we do indeed have eternal life. That eternal life is not something we're going to one day have, but if you're here and you're saved, you have eternal life in your life right now. 
We talked about as that seed that's in your heart, right? It's germinating now. And as it grows and grows, one day when we're in heaven, it'll come to its full fruition, if you would. So for each and every one of us, we should have confidence. We don't have to be afraid every day. Am I going to die or not? Or what's going to happen if I die? Is this the big one, right? No, we can have confidence that we're going to see the Lord, that we don't have to spend eternity in hell, but we can spend eternity in heaven because we believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Now he turns to the confidence that we should have in God if we are saved, right? He's encouraged us to have confidence in God and confidence in eternal life. And now if we have this true relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we should have confidence and this blessed assurance. So reminding ourselves, what are some of the marks of someone who has a true relationship with Jesus Christ? Taking these from 1 John, the first one was walking in the light and not in darkness. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Are you fearful when someone looks over your shoulder and you're on your phone? Are you fearful if you leave your laptop out in the open and people can see your, your browsing history and what's going on there? Are you walking in the light at such a point that you have nothing to hide? Uh, when we were with the youth group, we used, to, we used to tell them after youth, right, youth happens at 7.30 on Fridays. If you're here, 6th or 12th grade, you're invited to come on out. But when we close, we used to tell them, get in the light or get right. Because one or the other. Because if there's a, a young man and a young woman and they're going out for a prayer walk out in the back 10 acres of the property, nothing good is going to happen. That's why they're seeking to go out into the darkness so they can do whatever they're trying to do. The same is true for us. If we're truly walking in the light of Jesus, we're going to have nothing to hide. And we're going to have even more boldness to come to the Lord. But if we're walking in darkness, that's a danger that perhaps you truly are not a son or daughter of God. What's another mark of a, someone who has a true relationship with Jesus Christ? It's someone who knows that they've sinned and then they are confessing their sins before the Father. We need to know each and every one of us, we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, the wages of our life, it deserves death and hell for all of eternity. But that's why Jesus has come, he's died for our sins, taking our penalty in our place so that now we can have life and that abundantly. But that only is going to happen when we say, Lord, I am a sinner and Lord, I'm confessing my sins to you. Lord, you're right. What your word has to say about these sins, Lord, it is true and it's right. What's another mark of someone who has a true relationship with Jesus Christ? They are obeying his commandments. You're being obedient to what the Bible says. What the Bible has to say about love, about relationships, about work ethic. You're being obedient about what the word, the Bible has to say about responsibilities, about roles in the home, about gender, sex, all these different things. You are being obedient to God's commands. Two more. The, another mark of someone who has a true relationship with Jesus Christ is that they do not have a love for the world or the things in this world. Sometimes we get so attached to this world, we forget this world is not my home. Our home, it's in heaven. That's when our true life, our real life begins. And some of us are so entrenched in this world that we have a love. We have a desire for the things of this world. And that's not the mark of a true believer. What's the last one? Having a love for our brothers and sisters. Having a love for the body of Christ. Again, do you desire to be at church? Do you desire to see one another? 
When you run into another believer at the supermarket, are you excited? Or are you like, oh, let's go down this aisle. I don't, I don't want to see them, right? I don't want to spend any time with them, right? When a picnic comes up, are you excited about it? Or do you begin to make plans that Saturday? So, ah, I'm sorry, I got to do the laundry. I'm not going to be able to make it to a picnic this year, right? Or do you have an excitement to be with the brothers and sisters in the Lord? Now, if we are in him... If we have these marks of a true relationship with Jesus in our life, then we should have even more confidence in God, in who he is. And now we should have confidence in our prayer life, that God, he hears us. Maybe you were applying for a job and you found out you know someone that knows someone, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're talking to someone and they know the person that's doing the hiring. They know the boss. So now when they put in a good word for you, what happens when you come into the interview? You have more confidence. Man, so-and-so, they put a good word for me, and I should be able to get this job easier. And the same should be said for us with the Lord, but even more so. The amount of confidence we should have knowing that God hears us. The creator of heaven and earth, he hears us. When we cry out to him, he's listening to our cry. He's listening to our words. He's listening to our prayers. And now the confidence, it's not in magical words. The confidence, it's not in a specific formula. The confidence is not saying, in Jesus' name, now God has to do whatever I say. That's not the confidence. The confidence is in who God is. And now John, he gives us a big two-letter word in the middle of verse 14, right? What's the confidence that we have that he hears us and he's going to do what we ask? It's if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. Last week we were talking about false doctrines, false gospels, and one of the major ones within our nation, it's this prosperity doctrine, that you can name it, you can claim it, you can lip it, you can grip it, you can blab it and grab it, and God has to do what you say, right? We were joking around, all the guys at men's basketball, naming and claiming, Lord, help me grow six inches, right? Or to help grow my vertical leap another 12 inches so I can finally touch the rim. I've always dreamed of touching the rim, right? They're naming and claiming it. 6'8", 6'8", 6'8", 6'8", right? And it's madness. And yet this is going on through our nation. Whatever you say, right? Be careful. Your tongue has uh, life and death in the power. So you got to be careful what you say. Positive confession. It's, it's a bunch of lies. So I do think there's some of us here that we do want to pray prayers that are according to God's will. And not just our will. Again, we need to be reminded, prayer, it's not about us pressing our will into God. Prayer is about God pressing his will into us. That's what prayer is about. And we see no greater example of this than Jesus Christ himself. Let's turn to the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 4, we'll go from chapter to chapter. And we'll see here in three chapters back to back, God's desire, what Jesus' desire was, was whatever the Father desired, whatever God desired, that's what he wanted. It was about God's will, not about his will. John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verse 34, it says, And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, what brought sustenance to the life of Christ, what brought joy to Jesus, what brought happiness to Jesus, satisfaction to Jesus, was to do the will of God the Father. It wasn't about doing his own will, accomplishing his own will. It was about doing whatever the will of the Father was. 
You go to John chapter 5, a page to your right. John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus, once again here, he says, I can do, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Again, what Jesus was looking out for was not to accomplish his own will or his own desires, but to accomplish the will of God the Father. Finally, John chapter 6, verse 38 Jesus, once again here, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, family, how much of our prayer, it's about building our own will, about building our own kingdom. We're going to look at it in a moment. Our own pleasures being accomplished instead of saying, Lord, your will be done. Lord, your kingdom come. Because when we're praying prayers like that, powerful things can happen. We can go to Hebrews chapter 10 quickly. And in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews, some people think it's Paul. He's going to reference Psalm 40. But here in Hebrews 10, verse 9 and 10, again, he's going to reveal to us the will of God, the will of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Again, God's desire for our lives is that we would be sanctified. We'd be sanctified. We'd look more and more like Jesus Christ. One final thing on this idea of prayer and praying according to God's will. You have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and several times he prays, Lord, take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will be done. Again, that's how our prayers should be fashioned. That's the way our prayers should be looking. Lord, it's not about my will. It's not about my desires. It's not about what I want. Lord, I want your will accomplished. So maybe you're here and you do. You want to pray prayers that are 100% according to God's will. There's four main prayers that you could pray that it's 100% according to God's will. The first one is sanctification. We saw that in Hebrews 10. We'll look at it now in 1 Thessalonians 4. But the first thing, the first thing that is according to God's will, 100% prayer all the time, sanctification. The second one is salvation. The third one is silence. Some of the parents are writing that one down. Hey, the will of God is for you to be silent right now, right? Number three, silence. And number four is thanksgiving. If you would, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I don't know if anyone here has ever asked, God, what is your will for my life? Anybody ever asked that here before? Man, so few of us. We've got to pray, right? Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I know you guys are shy to put your hands up. But 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 3 through 5. Again, the will of God for each and every one of our lives. Verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification 
and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Again, God's will for our life. You want to pray a prayer that's according to God's will? It's our sanctification. That's what he's telling us there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Is that we should be abstaining from sexual immorality. What sexual immorality? Any form, any type of sex or nudity besides one born male and one born female who are married. Any type of sex outside of that, it's sexual immorality. And now what God is asking us, what God wrote to the Thessalonians was to abstain from it. That what God gave us was not to go after our passions, not going after our lusts, but that we should be going after holiness and sanctification. That's a prayer we should be praying. Lord, sanctify me. Lord, give me more strength to abstain from sexual immorality. What does that word sanctify mean? It's speaking of consecration, purification. Simply put, it's to be set apart as sacred. To be set apart for the service of God. That's what we should be praying for. Lord, help me to be more set apart for your service. Lord, help me to be more set apart to do things that would bless you. We see that all throughout the life of Christ. His whole entire life was set apart for the service of God. And time and time again, you find Jesus getting away to pray. Getting away to pray. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in prayer so that his will would align with God more and more. Again, when you're addicted to pornography, when you're addicted to sexual immorality, any other addiction, you are set apart to the service of that addiction. All you're thinking about is when is the next time I'm going to get a hit? When is the next time I'm going to be alone on my phone? When is the next time I'm going to be able to do this at night? And now what we should be desiring is to go from the service of this sex or this vice or this lust to now be put into the service of God. Lord, what's your will for my life? Lord, how can I serve you today? Lord, who can I speak to about you today? Again, that's God's will for our life. That's a prayer we can pray that the Lord will answer. You can write down 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. What's another prayer that's according to God's will? It's salvation. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, God's will, God's desire is that no one would perish. Is that everyone would come to repentance. So if you want to pray a prayer that is 100% with the will of God, it's, Lord, would you save this person? Lord, would you save my coworker, my family member, my friend, that person that just cut me off in traffic? Lord, would you save them? Right? That's, that's something we should be praying for more and more. The third one is silence. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. That way this makes sense. First, uh, 2 Peter chapter Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Again, we see those big words there. It says, For this is the will of God, 
that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Again, what we should be praying for is, Lord, give me the character. Lord, give me the notoriety with the people that I deal with that they would only be brought to know you more and more. That they would have nothing evil to say about me, right? I remember my grandma, I miss her, right? She would say, nihi, nihi, right? Don't even give me one word. Don't even give me one syllable. Just stay quiet. And our lives should be such that unbelievers, they can't say anything about us. What do they say about your life, right? What does your accountant say about your life, right? There's no under the table in Scripture. It doesn't exist in Scripture, right? Are we giving to Caesar what's Caesar's? Are we giving to God what is God's? What do our spouses say about us, right? What do our kids say about us? What does the waitress at Longhorn or Denny's, what do they have to say about us, right? Are you able to share the gospel afterwards? Or, man, that guy doesn't even tip. What are you talking about share the gospel, right? He's got nothing to give me. What do unbelievers have to say about us? We could think of Daniel, right? You think of Daniel, the evil men knew the only way they could catch Daniel in an evil act would be to make prayer illegal. They knew there was no other way to catch Daniel. It wasn't going to be in a speed trap. It wasn't going to be in tax evasion. It wasn't going to be in having uh, one of those sketchy, uh, what is it, Amazon Fire Stick that gets everything for free, right? They knew there was no other way to catch Daniel. Back in the day, right, Napster, LimeWire, all those good things, right? They knew there was going to be no way to catch Daniel in any of these illegal things. The only way would be in prayer. And again, our lives should be such that unbelievers, they're drawn to the Jesus within us. They're not looking to think, that guy, he's just as jacked up as I am. That person, their marriage is, is just as messed up as mine is. That person's life, it's all messed up just like mine. Again, they should have nothing to say about us. Just silence bringing glory to God. Finally, 1 first, first Thessalonians chapter 5. Getting extra tongue-tied here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. What's the last prayer that is according to the will of God? Thanksgiving. Look at chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. It tells us, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, how often do we give thanks? How much of our conversation is always complaining about something? If we're honest, some of our best friends, we like to talk to them so that we can both complain about the same thing, right? Complain about the dolphins or complain about politics, complain about this, complain about the weather. When we should be giving thanks. Give thanks to God for what he's done for us. You think of Paul and Barnabas. They're in prison for sharing the gospel. And what are they doing in prison? Giving thanks to God. Worshiping together for what God has done for them. How much more should we be giving thanks? Thanks to God. So again, family, let us be praying prayers for sanctification, for salvation, for a character and a demeanor that gives glory to God, and finally, thanksgiving no matter what situation we find ourselves in. The problem 
is that oftentimes we're praying prayers for our pleasures. That's what we're praying for. Lord, I pray for a perfect weather at the beach so I can have a, a great day today. Lord, I pray you'd fix the economy so my 401k would grow. Lord, I pray that you'd fix my health so that I would be able to relax and be fine. James chapter 4, verse 3, that's the warning to us. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, oftentimes when we're praying, it's for our flesh. It's for our own pleasures. Lord, would you fix this country? Because I'm a little scared right now, right? Lord, would you fix this country? I don't have to spend $100 for half a tank of gas. What's going on here, Lord? Would you fix this? But how much more should we be praying for? Sanctification. Ah, Lord, salvation. Lord, would you strengthen my brother or sister in you? That's what we should be praying for. Does this mean that God doesn't care about us? That he doesn't care about the rest of our lives? That he doesn't want to hear about us? Does God say, Zach, are you talking about one of the four things I asked for? I don't want to hear it. No, that's not the Lord at all. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It tells us to be anxious for nothing. Right? How many of us we deal with anxiety and fear? It tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We see thanksgiving once again. What should we do? Let your requests be made known to God. Again, our God, he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear every single one of our requests, even if it is our own pleasure. Because when we pray, our will is getting aligned with God's will. When we're spending true time in prayer, not when we're just saying, Lord, may you bless this food, bless it to my body as I ate this Taco Bell. Jesus' name we pray, amen, right? When you pray a quick prayer like that, most of the time we're just repeating, we're just rattling off things, right? But when we're spending true time in prayer, our will is hopefully getting more and more in line and in unison with God. A.W. Tozer speaking on prayer, he tells us, pray until you know that you are praying. Spend time in prayer until you're at the point where you know that you're actually praying, that you're actually talking with God, that you're having a dialogue with God. It's not just giving him your Santa's wish list. It's not repeating the same thing you always say, but it's spend enough time in praying until you know that you're actually praying. Once you do that, then it says pray until you know that you're being heard. Continue to pray. The promise here is that God, he hears our prayers. Continue to pray until that dialogue is open, till your spirit is ministered to and you can sense, you can know, man, God, you are hearing me right now. Lord, you're listening to me right now. And finally, it says, pray until you receive an answer. And we will. We always get an answer. Sometimes it takes a day. Sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it takes a month. But continue to pray for that same thing until you receive that answer. Now, the hard part for some of us is we get the answer. We just don't like it, right? Lots of times the answer is no. But we, ah, Lord, that, that, that couldn't have been you. No, no, that, that couldn't have been you, right? He answers us. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes he says, this is what you really need to pray for and focus on. And then sometimes it is a yes. But again, we should make our requests known to God so that our will, our desires would line up with God more and more and more. John 15 verse 7 Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Again, the more time we spend in God's word, the more time we spend with God and now his word is living inside of us, we're going to ask and we're going to pray for things that are according to his will. 
according to his desires, and then it's going to be done for us. Again, prayer, it's not us making God do what we want to do, like if he's a genie. Prayer is our will lining up with God's will. When we spend time in prayer and fasting, what is that? Are we going on a hunger strike, right? Saying, God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat until you do what I told you to do, right? That's not what it's about. We're fasting. We're saying no to our flesh so that our spirit would be more and more aligned with God. Again, that's what God's desire is for prayer. We go back to 1 John chapter 5. Now we look at verse 16 and 17. And John here is going to go from speaking with such clarity, pretty easy for each of us to understand this, to probably some of the most unclear scriptures in all the Bible. But verse 16, he says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So we can take what we understand here first. Very First and foremost, verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin. It's so interesting to me that oftentimes we get offended by people that they haven't done anything to us, right? But someone else tells us, right, and we hear about someone sinning to someone else, to someone else, to someone else. And then we get appalled. How could that have happened? That's not what we should be doing. John says if you see right firsthand a brother sinning a sin, we should be praying for them. That God would bring life into their lives. That's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be gossiping about it. We shouldn't be telling people on social media. You shouldn't be coming to a prayer meeting and telling everybody the whole situation, right? I got to pray for my brother. This is exactly what they did at this time in this place. No, that's not what it's about. It's about praying for them that life would come into them. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So if you're here and you consider yourself spiritual, what you should be doing is looking to restore brothers and sisters who have sinned. Not tearing them down, not gossiping about them, not talking trash, no, restoring them in a spirit of gentleness, mercy, humility. And why should we do that? He says, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. Lots of times the people we are harshest on, it's because we do the exact same thing that they're doing. And now we're going to be harsh to them. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters when we see them in sin. Now it says there that there's a sin not leading to death and that there is a sin leading to death. This portion, we're not sure what John is talking about here. Every pastor that I've heard, they're all not sure exactly what John is talking about here. There's a sin leading to death. What is that sin leading to death? Is it telling your wife that that dress makes her look fat? Is that the sin leading to death, right? Possibly. That might be the sin leading to death. We're not sure, right? But what could it be? A sin leading to death. Chuck Smith, he says, a sin leading unto death is the willful rejection of Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. It's a lifelong denying of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And there's nothing to pray for about that. Once someone has spent their whole life rejecting God and they die, there's nothing to pray about. There's no purgatory. There's no praying them out of hell. 
The decision has been made. One of the most difficult things in being a kids ministry teacher, right, is when the kid says, hey, I want to pray for so-and-so. They passed away, right? We don't pray for them anymore, but we could pray for the family, for comfort, for love, and for the Lord to do a work there. But once someone's passed away, once someone's dead, there's nothing specifically to pray for that person. So possibly it's trying to pray for someone that's lived a lifelong denying of Jesus Christ. There's nothing to pray for there. The second one is someone whose sin has led to death, but we believe that they're in heaven. Again, thank God that not every sin leads directly to death. If not, our church would be completely empty here this morning, right? If every time we sinned, we died, our planet would be empty, right? There'd be nothing going on here. But there are many sins that do not lead to death, but there are few that do. In Scripture, in Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 10, you have Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied. And just because they lied, they dropped dead, right? What did they lie about? They said they sold the property for such and such. They put a certain amount in the tithe box. They were lying. Peter double checks him. He says, nope, Ananias, he drops dead. Talk about a ministry. It says the young men, they grabbed the guy and they went and they buried him, right? Talk about a new ministry to have at church. But they go, they bury Ananias. They come meet back. And by the time they get back, Peter's asking Sapphira, is this true? Did you guys sell this for such and such? And that's what you put in the tithe box? She lies and now she drops dead. Again, the guys are tired, exhausted. They just buried her husband. Now they got to bury this lady, pick her up, take her out there. So their sin, we don't know if they're in hell or heaven. We don't see anything that would say that they're in hell. So that's going to be an interesting conversation when we get to heaven. But they died, they sinned, and it led to death on the spot. Another group of people, it was in the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11, there were people who were getting drunk at the communion table. And it said that it led to them getting sick and even going to sleep. That's not talking about that they got so plastered that they had a hangover at the communion table. It's talking about that they got sick and they died because of the way they took that communion. Finally, you have the sons of Korah in Numbers 26 verse 10. They sinned and their sin led to death. It's a prayer that I kind of pray. Hopefully you don't get freaked out here. But it's, Lord, if I'm going to bring dishonor to your name, Lord, just take me home. Just take me home. I don't want to bring dishonor to your name. I don't want to put a black eye on you and what you've done for so many people. So, Lord, if I ever get to that point, just take me home. It's better to be in heaven. And at that point, there's nothing to pray for those people. God has decided it, and it's gone. Now, what's our job in this situation? Is it our job to find out where the line is? Lord, how much can I sin? And you don't kill me on the spot, right? Lord, how much can I sin and I don't drop dead in the middle of Calvary Chapel, Miami? I get pena, right? Lord, what's the line here? Is that no? Our job is to say, Lord, I want to live in the light. Lord, I don't want to live in darkness. I want to live so much in the light that I don't have to ever be wondering or worried about that. Two more possibilities. It's praying for something that God has already said no to. Just don't be praying about that. Don't be asking about that. If God has already told you no, Leave it alone. Go on to something else. I think each of us as kids, we've been there, right? Now I'm on the opposite end of that. My son asked me, hey, can I, can I go eat this dessert? I'm like, no, you can't eat that. You had dessert every day, every meal this week, right? What happens 10 seconds later? I hear some footsteps in another room. Hey, mom, can I? And I got to walk in there, right? I already said no. We already said no. You can't do this. And we shouldn't continue to go to God if we've already received a no from him. What's the last possibility? It's praying for something that is sinful and against God's word. If you're praying for something that is sinful, if you're praying for something that is against God's word, 
There's no point in praying for that. Zero point in praying for that. God's word has said that it is wrong, it is sinful, it is not good in God's eyes. It's not according to his will. If you're praying to marry that person and they're not saved and you're saved, that's being unequally yoked. Stop praying for that. Time to change up the prayer. If you're praying for something that that is sinful, something that is evil, stop praying for that. It's time to change up the prayer. Now we go to verse 18. 1 John 5, it says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Again, we've already seen this in 1 John. John is not saying that the moment that we're saved, we never sin in our lives ever again. But what he's saying is that whoever is truly born of God is not in a constant, habitual practicing of sin. That if you're here and you're doing the same sin over and over and over and over again, you should have the fear of God. Because God's word says, you're not saved, you're not born of God. If you're getting drunk every day, every week, over and over and over and over and over again, you're practicing a habitual sin. Right? If you're having sex with someone over and over and over again, they're not your spouse, and you're saying, I'm saved, God's word says, that's not the truth. If we're truly saved, we're not going to be in the same habitual state of sin over and over and over again. The rest of verse 18, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. Now there's two ways for us to look at this here. It could be that we ourselves, we need to guard ourselves from sin. And there's no doubt about that. Each and every one of us, we should be guarding our lives, setting up guardrails, protections, things to keep us from sinning. But what it is truly meaning is that Jesus Christ himself will guard us and keep us from sin. That's the blessing. That's the promise that we have. That when we've been saved, we've been freed from the slavery of sin. And now anytime we sin, it's not because you had to do it. Sadly, it's because you chose to do it. At the end here, it says, the wicked one does not touch him. We walk around, we sing MC Hammer, can't touch this, right? That's what we're saying to the enemy now, from here on out. Literally, what it means is the wicked one cannot cling to us. The only other time we see this word in the Greek, it's in John 20, verse 17. Jesus says to Mary, do not cling to me, for I have, yet, I have not yet ascended to my father. But I go to my brethren, but go to my brethren and say to them that I'm ascending to my father. Mary, you got to let go of me because I'm going to start floating up here and it's not going to be good, right? That's what Jesus is telling her. Stop clinging to me. The wicked one, Satan, he cannot cling to us. He cannot attach himself to us. He can tempt us. He can oppress us. But he cannot weigh us down and force us into something. Again, another misconception I see all the time within churches, within social media, right, is that, oh, the devil made me do it. Or Satan, he's coming at me and saying, ooh, Satan's bringing these thoughts into my mind, right? That's, that's not what Scripture says. Where does temptation come from? That man or that woman in the mirror. That's what Scripture says. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Again, one of the 
Great pictures of how much greater and powerful our God is compared to Satan is our God is omniscient, our God is all powerful, all knowing, our God is everywhere at once. Satan can only be one place at a time. And again, I, I love you guys, I care about you guys, but I think Satan's, we're not in the pay grade of Satan messing with us, right? He's messing with people that have nuclear codes, he's messing with people that can obliterate nations, kill thousands and millions of people at the same time. So oftentimes, our sin, where does it come from? Our own desires. And that's why it's so important for us to be abiding in God's word, abiding in Christ. Because those temptations, it's not the devil made me do it. It's not a demon is coming and coming into your heart and the demon of sex, the demon of cigarettes, the demon of speeding. Again, it's not biblical. It's within our own lives. We need to take ownership of our sins. Can I take ownership of our sins? And I'll bring that before the Lord, crucify the flesh, and walk in the Spirit. That's what we need to do. Satan cannot cling to you. He cannot hold you down and force you to do anything. Again, that's the power of Christ in each and every one of us. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Family, we need to stop thinking that this world and the things of this world are okay. We have to stop thinking that this world is like a, a middle ground. It's not evil. It's not good. It's just sort of medium. It's just sort of sitting there. No, our entire world, our world's systems are under the sway of the wicked one. We have to be on guard. Parents, we can't be allowing our kids to watch TV alone anymore. Got to be watching it with them because you don't know what's going to come through there. Can't just be giving them devices, YouTube, X, Y, or Z, and just say, hey, go, go at it. Because this entire world is under the sway of the wicked one. I don't know if you've ever been to the airport and you see those people movers, right? Those escalators that are just going flat. It would be fun to have one at our church, right? But I don't know if you've ever seen those. And sometimes if you're really bored, maybe it's, I think I've only seen guys do it. I don't know if I've ever seen a lady do it, right? They go against the people mover, right? Or they go up the wrong way of the escalator seeing which way they can make it. And that's the picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ and this world. If you're going on the opposite way of a people mover and you just stand still, what's going to happen? You're going to go backwards. You're going to go backwards. Nothing is going to happen. And if you're here and you're doing nothing in your walk with Christ, the world, it's going to take you backwards. You are only going to go backwards in your walk and relationship with Jesus Christ because this world is under the sway of the wicked one. What happens if you just walk, right? You're just going at your pace. You come to church. Hey, at least I come to church, right? You get your Bible. You blow the dust off of it, right? And you come to church. You're here. You're fiddling through. Fall asleep. Wake up a couple times, right? Go home. Put the Bible back on the shelf. You're walking, are you going to move? Are you going to go anywhere? No, you're going to be at the same spot. You're going to be stuck in the same place for weeks and months and years. What's the only way to move forward on that people mover? It's to run as hard as you can. And that's what each and every one of us needs to be doing. We need to be running after the Lord as hard as we can. Abiding with the Lord as much as we can. We've sought after evil things with everything we've got. How much more should we be running after the things of Jesus Christ? Again, family, this world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Stop thinking that that music is harmless or that artist is, is, is harmless. This is harmless. That's harmless. No, it's all under the sway of the wicked one. 
Finally, verse 20 and 21, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Again, twice here, John makes reference once again that Jesus is the Son of God. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not Jesus Christ, the brother of the devil. Not Jesus Christ, the good prophet. Not Jesus Christ, the good man or the good philanthropist. No, only in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's the one who gives us understanding. He's the one that opens our eyes that we would be able to know him who is true and that we'd be able to be in him who is true. Finally, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Doesn't seem like John was that pastor that had several closing statements, right? He said, hey, one last line and I'm out of here. And he ends with, with a big one. With a doozy, and in this time period, right, there was idols, there was idolatry, different temples where people would go and make their sacrifices. But here for us, I don't know how many of us were struggling, right? Maybe you're still here and you do. You have your San Lazaro in the back of your house or in the front of your house, right? Maybe that's you. But for each and every one of us, most of our idols, it's not something small and physical, but it's something within our lives. Something that's taking away our time and our affection away from the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, he says, he starts off saying, little one, this is a title of deep affection. It's a title that indicates that there's been regeneration and that there's a family relation here with John and with these believers. It indicates someone who has humility, someone who's teachable, someone who has faith, and someone who is weak, right? my little children. And then now speaking of idols, again, obviously it could be visible idols, but it could be speaking against worshiping of yourself, right? Each and every one of us, we have our own little idol in our pocket, right? Every single person, they have their own little idol. And how many, how much hours, how much time do we spend worshiping our little idol? Our kids, our family, they're right in front of us, but we got to worship that little idol. Sometimes it's just overindulging in food and in drink, in laziness, right? We need some more me time, right? Another me day. It's just idolatry. Sometimes we're spending too much time concerned about how we look or what we're wearing. How much more time we should spend, Lord, what do you think about my life? Lord, am I living in honor? Am I living righteously before you? Sometimes we're worshiping wealth. We're doing whatever we can for money. We're always watching the stock market or looking at where Bitcoin is or where this is or where that is, right? And it can become idolatry. It could be hobbies, it could be pursuits, it could be friends, it could even be relatives, right? For some of us, our, hob our hobby, our idol, it's in the parking lot. We wash it every day, we wax it once a week, right? And we go for a joyride in our idol, right? It's all that we've dreamt of, it's all that we ever wanted. Sometimes even things that are good. A spouse can become an idol. Honey, whatever you say, I'm going to obey you. Honey, I, but what about church? No, this is what we're going to do. Okay, honey, I'm going to obey you. As Pastor Raz would say, sometimes our idol, it's little Harvey, right? Our sons, our daughters, they can become our idols. You don't want to go to youth group? Oh, that's fine, honey. That, that's okay, right? You want to drop out of high school? You want to drop out of middle school? That, that's okay, honey. That's fine, right? No big deal. We do whatever you want to do, right? 
It can become idolatry. We need to be careful that we're not taking the good things from God, the gifts that God has given us, and now we're spending more time concerned with what this gift thinks instead of thinking, God, what do you think? Again, each of us, when we die, we're going to stand before God, and we're going to have to give an account of our lives. You're not going to stand before your spouse. You're not going to stand before your in-laws. You're not going to stand before your kids. We're going to stand before God the Father, and he's going to say, what did you do with the gifts and the talents and the time that I gave you? Simply put, he wraps up our whole life into Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we're to give God our all. No two-timing him. No, Lord, I really want to serve you, but Lord, I need to serve my idol of comfort. Lord, I really want to serve you, but Lord, it's just so much more comfortable here. That would take me out of my comfort zone. We can't serve that. Let's go to John 15, verse 5, and we'll close here. Worship team, you can start making your way up. John 15, verse 4 and 5. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. Again, family, we need to spend this time in this relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to spend time experiencing God and knowing God in our everyday life and walking with Him. It's not just in religion or in books or candles or wearing fancy robes, but it's in the everyday. In the mundane, we need to be abiding in the Lord, spending time in our Bibles because apart from Him, we can do nothing. And the difficult thing with idolatry, it's we are either abiding in Christ or we're abiding in an idol. That's just simply the way it is. Either we're in Christ, we're plugged into Him, we're there with Him, or we're abiding in different idols. So again, family, may we have those marks of a believer. May we be walking in the light and not in the darkness. May we know that we've sinned, and every time we sin, we come confessing our sins before the Father. May we be obeying His commandments. May we be putting to death our love for this world and the things of this world. And finally, may we have a love for our brothers and sisters. That if Jesus was willing to die for them, how much more should we have a love and care for the family of Christ? But hey, let's pray. Lord, we just love you, and again, God, thank you for the confidence that we can and should have in you, Lord. The blessed assurance, Lord, that you hear us, the creator of heaven and earth, Lord, you hear our petitions, Lord, whether they're according to your will or not, God. And Lord, help us in the day and age that we live in, Lord, to spend more time seeking your will, Lord. Not building our kingdoms, Lord. Not seeking for our will to be accomplished. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve you, Lord. We're going to seek to have your will accomplished in our lives, God. So, Lord, be with us. Help us to walk in the light, Lord. Help us to confess our sins. Help us to be right with you this morning, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
Hey, let's all stand and we'll close in song. And if you need prayer, you can come up. You can talk with one of the pastors, whether you want to pray for sanctification in your own life, maybe salvation in your own life, salvation for a friend or a family member. Maybe you blew it. You had a bad character. You gave a bad example of who Jesus is. Or maybe you just want to give thanks. Man, come up front and uh, pray with one of the pastors.